Hello again and welcome to Rasslin' Memories. I'm Glenn Broggett along with my co-host for this week. He's back in for another round, Mr. Mike McCurdy. We're going to talk old school pro wrestling. We do that each and every week, but this time we're going to do things uh, a little more tailored to the modern era here on Rasslin' Memories. I think it's a a fun little thing we can do from time to time to let uh, the listeners know, the more old school minded fans know, that there's some really good wrestlers out there working the independent circuits and beyond. So it's a big welcome again to the grizzled vet himself, all the way from the great state of Texas, Mr. Mike McCurdy. Mike, uh, welcome. And you've booked a good one this week, my friend. Um, I think we got a good guest this week, and yeah, um, once again, the grizzled vet, as you've uh, tended to call me there, thanks to my uh, whiskey voice from the other day when we uh, talked with Al Burke. So, yeah, I wondered if your uh, middle name was it was Michael Jack Roberts McCurdy. <laughs> I was starting to wonder myself. I'm sounding better today, though. I'm looking forward to this interview. Yeah, yeah, you were able to line up a, a, an up-and-comer, a guy who's making some noise out there in the independence, a guy that you uh, are a little bit more familiar with, and I'm going to get an education today, and which is always cool, because I'm always in pursuit of acquiring more knowledge about some of the uh, younger up-and-coming guys that are doing their thing out there in the uh, independence. This uh, guy is definitely one of the uh, up-and-comers. Just celebrated his uh, eighth anniversary in pro wrestling uh, yesterday. Got a lot of positive response, so I think the fans are going to enjoy this episode tonight. So, as always, as the host, I'll let you make the introduction because, you know, you do that oh so well. Well, thank you so much. Flattery will get you everywhere. I think that uh, term has been mentioned before. Uh, he's the current holder of the National Wrestling Alliance World Junior Heavyweight Championship. Uh, yeah, that's uh, speaking of three letters that have really uh, made some noise at the end of 2017, uh, the National Wrestling Alliance. We'll talk about his reign as uh, Junior Heavyweight Champion. Uh, according to some notes Mike gave me, he also holds the Main Event Pro Wrestling Cruiserweight Championship. Wrestling has been in his blood, man, for years. This guy has had a passion, and before the age of 20, he was wrestling all over the United States. This guy has uh, earned his chops and, uh, wow, celebrating a landmark anniversary in the pro wrestling business. I bring to you 50 caliber Barrett Brown. Welcome to Wrestling Memories, my friend. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. It's very cool to have you on board. And Mike, when was the first time that you uh, got a chance to see uh, or even hear about uh, Barrett uh, Brown and, and get a chance to check out what he was all about in the ring? Um, the first time I met Barrett was in uh, 2014, so about four years ago. The first time I had come out to Texas to uh, work a show, I had the chance to meet him and all that, and instantly impressed with uh, everything he had done. And obviously, you know, four years ago, that was the halfway mark of uh, where he's at now. And I mean, you know, looking at how talented he was in the ring then, you can just imagine how great he's gotten over the last four years. So I'm honored to say, you know, he's a friend of mine. I've had a chance to work with him many times. And he and I have had a couple confrontations in the ring uh, before, and, you know, he's gotten out of line a little bit, but, you know, we just have to put him right back in his place. Well, let's uh, get you uh, into the round of questioning here, Mike. Uh, I'm going to let you have this baby for a while. I will uh, pop in from time to time and add in a little uh, a comment or a question here. But I want to let you uh, take the, the, the reins here uh, on this edition. I'm putting my trust in you, Mr. Mike, Mr. Uh, Grizzled Veteran. So uh, take, away, take it away with the interview. I can't wait to find out more about Barrett Brown. All right. Well, Barrett, once again, thank you for joining us today. And, man, I'm going to start with, you know, probably the most basic question you can go with. Yesterday, you said you celebrated your eighth anniversary in uh, pro wrestling, and you are a young guy, so you started at a very young age. What got you interested in wrestling, and how did you get your start? Who did you train with? 
And who were some of your influences leading up to so far an eight year stellar career? Man, uh, so I've I've kind of been around wrestling pretty much my entire life. Um, my family, you know, they uh, they were diehard, you know, Von Erich fans. They loved world class, um, everything like that. So I grew up uh, watching uh, WCW when I was young. So I've kind of always been around it. But, you know, back then it was kind of just a hobby. And when I was in school and everything growing up, I just kind of forgot about wrestling. And then... Um, when I was about 12 years old, I just, you know, I found that passion for it. And I just aspired to know that feeling of being in front of a crowd and that, that feeling never went away. So, um, when I was 15 years old, I got a surprise gift, um, from my parents. They paid for me to go, uh, sign up and train with a guy. His name was Cody Cunningham. He trained uh, local wrestlers around my area in Seven Points, Texas. They had a small show here uh, called NTWA. So I trained with him for a bit. And actually, um, he I don't think he'll admit this, but I, I think it was a situation where he was kind of like, okay, we'll bring this young kid in. I'll kind of take his parents' money, you know, beat him up a little bit and then send him on his way. But, you know, I, I took my first bump and I loved it. And I, I fell in love with it all over again. And I just kept going back. And at that point, you know, he was like, okay, well, we may have something in this guy. So he, uh, he let me travel with him some. Um, I started doing shows uh, January 17th of 2010 uh, when I was only 15 years old. And it was when I turned uh, 18 was when I really started traveling out of the state, um, going to Arkansas, just all the surrounding states from Texas, stuff like that. And um, from Cody... I went to train with Killer Tim Brooks, uh, Johnny Mantell. I also credit uh, Steve Anthony, a former trainer at Harley Race's school. I credit him as one of my trainers as well. Um, on top of them, I've done countless Ring of Honor uh, camps. I did a New Japan camp, uh, just all these seminars and camps over the last almost decade, man. So the you know to be 23 years old and have eight years of experience, um, it's I, I got. I was very blessed and fortunate to start when I was so young and already have this knowledge. I want to talk a little bit about uh, working with Killer Tim Brooks and Cowboy Johnny Mantell. And you were just what fifteen years of age. What was it like to get into with? I mean, you you worked. You said you worked with Cody Cunningham, but compared to, to Killer Tim Brooks and Johnny Mantell, that that's on two different uh, planes altogether. What did you learn from from those guys? And what was that experience like training with such uh, well known uh, Texas legends? Man, it was uh, it was very humbling. Um, so starting with Cody, you know, he taught me all the basics. Um, he a very very good trainer. I couldn't have asked for better. And then when I went to uh, Killer Tim Brooks and Johnny, they they showed me the importance of all the small things in wrestling. Um, they fine tuned every small detail of what was important to me. And uh, that was that was when I started kind of getting a, an appreciation for those small things that. I think that to this day, you know, a lot of guys don't really think about. It's kind of, I credit myself in being kind of a hybrid style of old school and new school. And I think that there are a lot of guys that don't realize now that, you know, what's old is new. And that's why, to me, that old school mentality is so important now because so many people, I think, have kind of, it's, it's a lost art nowadays. So they kind of taught me how important it was.
Well, take us back and take us into the ring now. How long was your training before you got into the ring and actually had your first patch in front of uh, paid customers, paying customers? Let's talk about that. How long was the process for you and in uh, your first ring experience, your actual in ring for a sh- for a show? That's actually a funny story. Um, so my first training day was in it was October twenty sixth of two thousand nine, and so that that was literally less than what three months uh uh yeah three months before i made my first show debut and the reason for that is because i was going to just go to a small show in in, uh, garland texas with cody and do like security you know or just hang out backstage but um a guy ended up uh no showing and they needed a spot filled so i literally got booked on like a dark match on the show against cody because you know i trusted him and I wore like some god awful blue jeans and an element t shirt. Like I had no gear. All I had was knee pads, like tennis shoes. I was still like a sophomore in high school walking out this curtain, you know, no like no crowd experience at all. I did not expect to wrestle. So that was my first, you know, live show experience that I was just kind of thrown out there to the wolves without even knowing it. Like I, I was told I believe not even three minutes before I had to hit the curtain that I had a match. So I kind of had to get ready very quickly for my very first experience. You know, you're, you're still in high school. You said you're a sophomore in high school, obviously being in Texas and Texas is a huge wrestling territory. A lot of the kids I'm sure you went to school with were wrestling fans. What was it like to be in the ring on the weekend and then on Monday through Friday, going back and just being, you know, the high school student. I mean, did they know that what you were doing and just kind of what was their reaction to it? Yeah, um, I had a lot of friends that knew uh, that I had a very deep passion for wrestling. And uh, I honestly, man, uh, at the time, I was I played football throughout middle school and my freshman year. But during my sophomore year, I actually quit football to pursue wrestling because I didn't want to focus on anything else except for wrestling. And at that point in school, like I, I just kind of existed at school. I made great grades, but that was because I wanted to go there, do well, get out so I can go train. I I wanted to just focus on wrestling and obviously have a fallback plan, but, you know, plan A was always wrestling. And, uh, you know, because of that, I have a very close circle of really good friends from school. Um, But we, uh, you know, we had shows very close to my high school um, because I went to Maybank my entire life, Maybank, Texas, and we had a few shows around that area and a lot of my friends came to the shows and supported me. And, uh, I mean, you know, there are obviously some kids from school that didn't know me that well that just thought, you know, oh, well, you know, it, you know, you hear all the time that it's fake and stuff like that. But, you know, they, uh, I would show them videos and show them my, you know, the, the battle scars from what I would do and, you know, prove them wrong. But, yeah, yeah, I had a very good support system on top of, you know, just a few people that, you know, didn't believe in me that I would eventually prove wrong. Now you mentioned support system. Um, obviously, you know, you and I, we've, we've known each other for a few years and I've had the chance to, uh, you know, speak with your family and all that. How much of a support system have your parents been through this? You said they paid for your training as a surprise gift. And I mean, you know, 50 caliber Barrett Brown is kind of a business of its own. And I see them at every show you're at doing all that stuff, but how much of a support have they been as far as, you know, the career's gone? 
uh, since day one. Like, I mean, literally since day one when I said that I wanted to be a professional wrestler, they have been the backbone of my support system. Um, I, I could not have done what I have done in the last eight years without them and their support. I can say that 100% fact. Um, and you know, my, my mom, she, she said that she, you know, grew up around wrestling and loved wrestling. And she even told me that me doing this is kind of living one of her dreams. So for them to travel, support me, you know, take the pictures, take the videos and, you know, help me make this dream come true. It's also to them a dream come true as well. So I, um, you know, and then I hear about all these other wrestlers that obviously don't have the same kind of support from their family that I do. And it makes me realize how fortunate that I am that my family is so supportive of what I do. So absolutely. Yeah, they uh, like I said, man, since day one, they have been the backbone of you know, of this whole support system for me. I want to ask uh, some questions now. Uh, you've, you know, you've gotten a few matches under your belt. Uh, and you just, when did you start to uh, travel, uh, you know, start making more, more shots? When did you feel comfortable enough to make more shots as you were uh, developing your in-ring skills? And when did things start to start to pick up for you and you felt that confidence to, to branch out a little bit more and to try and to tread into different waters? I think that that kind of all started when I turned 18. Um, and, you know, I don't want to say that I gained a full three years of experience, you know, from the ages of 15 to 18, you know, because I'm a big believer that uh, years in the business is not equal to the amount of experience you truly have, you know, because you look at a lot of guys that have been in it for, you know, five less years that have done more than a lot of guys have done in, you know, 15. So um, from those three years, I didn't do a whole lot. But when I turned to 18 and I could legally get wrestling licenses and travel out of the state of Texas, um, that's when I, you know, I realized that as far as the smaller shows that I was doing, I had kind of done what I wanted to do. So there is a gentleman uh, by the name of Tim Storm, who I will credit as my wrestling godfather. Um, he helped me get booked at traditional championship wrestling based out of Arkansas, which um, at the time was about to get a national television deal. And that was whenever I had my first true television exposure. And at the time, I was still only 18 years old. And my debut show for them um, in 2012 was in front of 1,000-plus people, and I had never been in front of that kind of a crowd before. And Tim was the one that kept reassuring me. He said, you know, you, you know what you're doing. You're good at what you do. He said, this is no different. There are just a lot more eyes on you, and there are cameras here. He said, just do what you do. And, you know, that's always stuck with me. And he's, um, he has always been that guy that has helped me make that jump. And, uh, you know, from there, that's whenever I started getting more comfortable at different shows. Because working in front of cameras and TV is very stressful but I did that for a while and slowly got better and more used to the environment. And after that, you know, because like when you film for TV, you have multiple matches uh, like every night in front of all those people. So you kind of get used to it. And I mean, I still get nervous and I'm, I'm a firm believer that, you know, if you don't have those butterflies in your gut, then it's, you know, it's almost time to quit. And I still have the same butterflies, but at the same time, my confidence over the last eight years has constantly grown. 
and uh, you mentioned uh, traditional championship wrestling. Uh, we also have to mention, aside from Tim Storm, who was a big part of that uh, company, uh, Matt Riviera. Let's talk about Matt Riviera. Uh, your memories of of working uh, with him and in traditional championship wrestling. Oh man, uh, Matt Riviera. I to talk about him, I'll be on here for like three hours, man. Uh, he. <laughs> He, man, he is a character if there was ever a character in wrestling. And now I talk to him like every day, man. He's, he's such a good dude. He has such a very smart business sense. It's uncanny. And, uh, I still, I still do so much business with him and he has been great to me. Um, I, and I honestly, I don't think that he really thought much of me when, whenever I first started at TCW because at the time, whenever Tim brought me in to meet with Matt before I even debuted, he was kind of skeptical because I'd only met him once. I was this young kid from Texas where at the time there weren't a lot of really good talent. Um, and obviously over the years, Texas has started to become almost a hotbed for pro wrestling. So at the time Matt was skeptical. And then, you know, I, uh, I guess I just played my cards right. I was very professional. I, you know, I wanted the shot. I wanted to prove, you know, that I, that I belonged on television. And, uh, he started to realize, okay, well this, you know, this kid means business and he's serious and we'll give him a shot. And, you know, from there, the rest is history. And that was like, yeah, that was five years ago. And over the last five years, there has not been a full week that's gone by that I haven't talked to him. So that bond is uh, definitely uh, tight still uh, after all of these years uh, with, with Matt. You must have had some uh, pretty good times uh, up and down the roads, uh, too, and in the locker rooms with that guy. For, from what it sounds like, you said you could cover that for a couple of hours, but you could kind of uh, maybe minimize uh, some of that experience for us. Oh, man. Like, uh, we we did uh, – I did some shows in Vegas for him at the Cauliflower Alley Club, and I remember – one year after we did a show, I was I was exhausted and I was ready to go back to the hotel room. And then Matt all of a sudden calls me after we get done uh, taking the set down. And he's like, hey, man, meet me downstairs. And I go to the lobby and there's literally a limo sitting outside. And there's like me, him and 16 others that go out. And we just we we went out until like 3 a.m. whenever I was done by like, you know, 10 o'clock. So, you know, Matt, he is full of surprises, if that's any consolation. <laughs> Most definitely. You know, in traditional championship wrestling, uh, Barrett, boy, you, you got a real good mix of some of these younger guys, some of the uh, more established hands that have been working around the ter- you know the modern-day territories, the independents. But then Matt had a way of splashing in some really good veterans to kind of uh, you know shore up the whole lineup. And what a, again, these are some great guys to work in the ring and kind of study under their learning tree. I mean, boy, you had some guys in the business that were you know still very active and prominent, like Lance. Hoyt, the Wolfie D's, and Bob Orton, for example, but the Jason Kincaid's. I mean, there was such a, an impressive lineup uh, of young and old alike in traditional uh, championship wrestling where you definitely, uh, I think you might have uh, learned a few things uh, from, from some of these guys just by being in their presence. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, you mentioned those names, and I still, to this day, when anyone asks me what uh, my biggest accomplishments are in wrestling, uh, the top of that list has always been that I got to be in the ring with Cowboy Bob Orton. Um, I, I still say to this day that I learned more in that one match that, and it was like 12 minutes long. I learned more in that 12 minutes than I could have hoped to have learned in my first five years in wrestling. It, 
it was uncanny what what I learned just from you know wrestling with these guys that Matt brought in um, that trusted me to be in the ring with, and that was you know that was that was very humbling to me because you know that's that's someone that even my parents would watch on television. So for them, you know, and they were they were there when that match happened, and for them to watch their son wrestle someone that they watched on television, you know. Uh, after the match happened, I kind of thought about that, and I was like, "Wow, that's that's very cool." Who were some of the other guys that that came, the vets that really had you starstruck? Uh, on top of just working in the ring at your time with TCW. Oh man, uh, let's see: Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Matt Hardy. You, you mentioned Lance Hoyt, and I credit Lance Hoyt as well with teaching me a ton. Um, Lance Hoyt, Tommy Dreamer. I mean, the list goes on. It was. You know, I I did not when I when I broke into wrestling, I did not expect within four years to have such a reputable list of names under my belt of guys that I had been in the ring with. But, I mean, literally guys that when I was first breaking into the business that I would still freak out about seeing on television, and then there I was not even five years later in the ring with them, uh, making memories. So it was very surreal. Oh, I, I could about imagine just a, uh, almost like a little bit of a dream come true sort of uh, feeling that to to be able to, you know, not just uh, ask for an autograph or shake a hand. It's actually getting in the ring and, and working with these guys. And again, you were so young at that time, too. So it was just so much thrown at you, so much upside early on in your career. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, and like I said, you know, it wouldn't happen without Tim, but it, I just... I just expected the television exposure. I, I in no way expected, you know, to uh, get a phone call one day and say, hey, uh, at the next show in like two weeks, you're going to be wrestling Cowboy Bob Wharton one-on-one, you know. And then at that point, I was ready to wake up from a, some crazy dream, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Hey, uh, and also that you had some pretty uh, interesting personalities handling the commentary and the interviews. Uh, I'm going to bring up a couple of names. Uh, Chris Cruz. Uh, also, I want to bring up the name Brandon Baxter and Ken Resnick. Talk about those three other, three guys from, from various areas and various areas of expertise in the broadcasting game, too, that really kind of added a little extra, a little burst for uh, TCW. Man, I know. You know, they they have such an important job that you don't really – think about until you're there watching them do their job and you know going to back to watch the edited product and how much they add to what you do because if you it, and, I, and I've always thought of that if you watch a match on mute it, it means 10 times more when there's good commentary and good broadcast partners and I remember Brian Thompson as well would always yeah. give me so much crap during my matches and that just you know it just added so much to the finished product one thing I'd like to ask, um, you know, 23 years old, eight years in the business, um, a lot of young kids are breaking into the sport nowadays, but do you feel there's been some times where your age has been kind of like a hindrance? Like maybe sometimes you're entering and they're just not taking you seriously just because of your age? Um, I think that that was the case whenever, I, I would say the first four years of my career, yes, that was the case because... You know, at the time I was still in high school, so at the time I had a, I had a shaved head. I was clean cut. I literally looked like I was 13 years old. I look back on those pictures and I looked like I could have been in middle school. So believably, for this young kid to step in a ring and you know put up a fight against these grown adults, 
you know, is kind of unbelievable. So I think that, you know, people would look at me and not even give a second glance as to, you know, who I was or what I could do. And I think it was until that I decided to start really investing in my look and my body. It, it was around the middle of 2016 when I had some really cool opportunities pop up for like the, I had my first WWE appearance. I had an email from them come up and uh, like an Evolve tryout come up and Ring of Honor stuff. And at that point I was like, okay, I need to, I need to really stop, you know, beating around the bush. I need to focus on myself, my body, my look, and, you know, put all these gears into go mode. And that's whenever I kind of, uh, I had to step away from who I was as like, at the time my moniker was the chosen one, Barrett Brown. And that was what I was when I was still, you know, 17, 18 years old, I needed to find something different. So I decided to completely change my look, um, invest into the gym and to diet, all this stuff and, you know, make people take me seriously because I knew that I was better than what people thought that I was. Now you went from the chosen one. And now of course, uh, 50 caliber, when I met you, you know, you were still, you know, like I said, four years into it and all that. What was the evolution into 50 caliber Barrett Brown? How did you come up and decide this was kind of where you wanted to go? The, the evolution to 50 caliber, it, it kind of stemmed from, I started getting uh, compliments from different people about how I reminded them of an old school Japanese style Chris Benoit. And he was a smaller guy that was hard hitting, powerful, but still, you know, quick, small and agile. And, um, you know, and I would research more about my name about Barrett and, you know, that it's the name of a 50 caliber sniper rifle. And I was like, wow, that's, that's a very intense, hard hitting piece of weaponry. You know, I think I could run with this. If I'm 50 caliber Barrett Brown, that kind of gets the point across about how, you know, I'm small in stature, but still I'm hard hitting. I'm intense. I'm this little physical guy that's you know gonna make a name for himself you mentioned the wwe appearances you've done a couple of those now just one here just a couple of days ago um what is that like as far as that because you know you go in i mean it's an all-day thing but kind of take us behind the scenes a little bit and what's it like and what do you what goes through the process when you do the wwe appearance and something like that it it entails an entire day of stress and not knowing what you're doing until you get there. Um, so I, I got to the AT&T Center at roughly 11 o'clock. Um, I got there. I had to check in, went backstage, and honestly, I had to go. Um, I went into catering, signed some tax stuff, did a physical, and then literally waited about two hours to find out what was going on. And then, you know, and then I found out that I'm going to be put through a table by Braun Strowman. So, but no, it was really cool because I got the email on Friday that I was going to be there. And at that time I was actually in uh, Arkansas getting ready to wrestle ring of honor star delirious that Saturday. So I was already stressed uh, because I have been to six Ring of Honor camps. I've done a few shows for them, but I wanted to prove to Delirious because he's, you know, he's uh, the head trainer at the school. 
um, I wanted to show him that how much I had changed because he had not seen me in roughly three years because I was still finding myself and he had not seen me as 50 caliber Barrett Brown. So I was, you know, full focus into that. I mean, I took three weeks off of wrestling between uh, my last match in December until last weekend. So uh, Thursday we went to Arkansas Friday. I'm, you know, preparing for Saturday and then Friday night I get the email about Monday night raw so Saturday, I'm already stressed out. I have a very good match with him. He gives me very high compliments. And then Sunday, we go to San Antonio. And then Monday morning, I go to Raw. Now, you mentioned uh, Braun Strowman. Obviously, a sizable difference uh, between you and uh, Braun Strowman. And I did see the show, and I did not realize you could fly that well. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping we walked away you know, a little sore the next day, I'm assuming. But I- I'm guessing it all went well since- yeah, we're on the phone with you here today. Oh, absolutely. It went very well. Um, yeah, it, I mean, I just, uh, actually, it was literally, I think, two hours before I got on here, I put out a, uh, I started doing some video video logs and stuff like that on my website. And uh, you'll see, um, I filmed a little bit uh, on the Tuesday after Raw. I uh, I shattered the first table, but that second table did not budge. And I have, like, a big welt on my thigh from where, from where my legs smacked that table. So, you know, I'm a little banged up and I didn't feel it that night because adrenaline was pumping, but man, I woke up Tuesday and I thought my leg was going to fall off. Now in our, in our intro, we mentioned you are the current, um, NWA junior world junior heavyweight champion. And obviously like Glenn said, NWA are three letters that are definitely synonymous with old school. What is the current situation with the NWA since Billy Corgan, took over so they are uh you know in october billy corgan took ownership of the national wrestling alliance and um you know currently they are trying to start from the ground up and they are focusing on the heavyweight championship and on the story of tim storm and josephus so uh right now we are just kind of focusing on that and, uh, the, I mean, the last thing that I did was I defended the title against Chavo Guerrero in Arkansas before I wrestled Delirious this last weekend. Um, so for now, we're just kind of, uh, we're kind of waiting. But uh, they're going to tell this story. And then uh, all I can really say right now is that things for me are coming up pretty soon. But I can't really say much more other than that. Now, there's another name you mentioned right there, uh, Chavo Guerrero. Obviously, the Guerrero family, another Texas, you know, wrestling legends as far as families. And I go, what was it like to be in the ring with Chavo knowing his lineage in this business? Very humbling. Uh, it was really cool because I actually got to pick him up from the airport and I hung out with him that entire day. And we were talking about how, um, you know, his dad held that championship as well. And how much it meant to me to hold that same title and defend it against a former champion's son. So it, you know, we definitely agree that it was a big fight feel, and we were uh, we were really excited to make history again. You know, he uh, because you know, I mean, it that title is in his lineage, and for me to have it defended against the son of someone that held it before was, you know, like everything else that I've said, it was just a an honor. 
Hey, Glenn, anything you'd like to uh, come back in with? Yeah, I want to talk about the uh, the NWA um, Junior Heavyweight Championship. Uh, there's been uh, quite a field of some some great guys in that uh, weight class. One of which uh, was a guy that uh, was down in uh, traditional championship wrestling for a while. He's been all over the place a time or two. I want to talk about the guy uh, Jason Kincaid. When I say that name, what does that uh, spring in your brain? <laughs> dream match, absolute dream match. Um, the last time we wrestled was in 2013, and we had what was called um, by officials backstage the best match in the history of TCW. And that was actually filmed um, at the very last TCW taping. Uh, and it was for the TCW uh, light heavyweight title. Um, I was actually supposed to wrestle him uh, about a month and a half ago and literally the night before we were going to wrestle, uh, he had a personal emergency and couldn't make the show. But when I think the name Jason Kincaid, I think innovative. I think um, one of the absolute most talented and different guys in the world. And um, I am very glad that he is no longer unsigned. I'm glad that he uh, that the WWN finally picked him up because, you know, uh, I've always I thought since 2013 that there was no reason that he should have been any less than signed somewhere making money. Yeah, I, that every t- match I've seen, whether it be online or in person, I saw him all at the Cauliflower, Al- Cauliflower Alley Club, and I thought he did a good job in his match a few years back. But it was one of those guys that just waiting. I was just waiting for him to pop up on one of the shows, whether it would be you know more than just a, a one shot or two on on ROH or you know bringing it even into like Impact or something like that. So hopefully things can move onward and upward with him. Who are some of the other guys like Kincaid that you have had the opportunity to work with that you've uh, found? to be just a joy and something that helps you even uh, make you want to up your game when you get into the ring and want to keep on working and bettering yourself who are some of those guys that just bring it out in you you know i could i could list quite a few um i will say that locally in texas one of the guys that i think is uh above and beyond that is very underrated is uh dirty andy dalton he um he has helped me quite a bit and uh, he he absolutely lives his gimmick. He is a dirty individual, but he has grown to be one of uh, my best friends in the business. But overall, out of everyone that I've ever stepped in the ring with, that um, is one of the most underrated uh, wrestlers, um, in my opinion, in the entire world, is uh, another former NWA World Junior Champion, uh, Steve Anthony. Um, again, I credit him with a ton of success in my career, but I have never been in the ring with somebody that has pushed me to my limits. And the, the first time I got in the ring with him, I thought that I was good. And then after I got done with the match, I looked at him and I was like, wow, I am not good. He's good. I, I need to set my game up because this guy is the next level. You've had some cha- opportunities to work some shots with Ring of Honor and also uh, attend some seminars. What was the experience like with ROH? And uh, could you talk about working in front of their crowd? It is, uh, man, I I couldn't describe it any less than me being a sponge and soaking in knowledge going up to the dojo. Um, usually the, uh, the seminars are two-day seminars for Ring of Honor. You will do drills in the ring, promos in another room, take a break, and then do matches. And... It's, it's literally just doing, doing those things, and most of the day consists of listening and learning and just soaking up knowledge. Um, doing the shows for Ring of Honor, 
it, it reminded me of the old days of TCW when we were doing TV. But the only difference was the crowds are just they're they're so much more ravenous and you know, the Ring of Honor crowds they're you know, they expect the hard hitting, they expect the running, they expect the flips, you know, stuff like that. And it's just a very active, ravenous crowd. And, uh, you know, that's not to say that TCW crowds weren't great because they were. They were just as good. But, you know, you you get the feeling that those crowds at Ring of Honor, they know what they're going to get. They know what to expect. And you've got to live up to those expectations. Mm-hmm. Who did you work with when you uh, have done these uh, shots in ring with ROH, uh, just uh, off the top of your head? Uh, I got to tag team with Cheeseburger at one of the shows. I got to wrestle BJ Whitmer in Amarillo, Texas. And I believe it was in San Antonio. I actually wrestled Moose, who is now signed to uh, Impact. Okay, now that's a bit of a size difference, huh? Absolutely. <laughs> you mentioned more. Of the, I'm going to hear about more of these seminars you've attended. You talked about the ROH seminars, but you've also attended a few others uh, featuring some real legends of the ring because, you know, you're an ever evolving student of the game. Uh, could you talk about some of those uh, seminars and some that you found to be really, really good and some very impactful ones who, who really kind of just left a lasting long term thing in your back of your mind as far as, you know, going to these seminars and, and some of these featured guys like you've been uh, under the learning tree of some good ones here for like from Lance Storm to Nigel McGinnis to Les Thatcher, Dr. Tom Pritchard. The list goes on and on. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny because every different uh, seminar is so much different and they're different in the same in in, uh, so many ways. Like when I went to uh, Tom Pritchard's um, his like four day long camp, there were so many minds there and just so many brains to pick. And, you know, we did drills and and, and, and in a way it reminded me of the Ring of Honor seminars because, you know, you do these things for them, but then you literally listen and you learn and you, you know, you just absorb all this knowledge, you know, from, from Les Thatcher, Nigel McGinnis, uh, Kevin Sullivan, Tom Pritchard, Lance Storm, all these guys. And, uh, you know, uh, on top of that, uh, right before I did raw in August of 2016, I did a week long camp at Harley races school. And that included, you know, uh, like new Japan pro wrestling was there. Uh, Tanahashi was there. Uh, I mean, just a list of names. Uh, Shane Helms was there from Impact. Um, Dave Taylor was there scouting from WWE. And literally every aspect in and out of the ring you could ever imagine was gone through uh, over that week. And they they picked a few guys, actually, from that camp to do the show that Saturday. And they, they put me on the show against one of uh, one of their Italian guys, uh, because they have some Italian uh, wrestlers that come and live at Harley's Dojo, and um, I got to wrestle him. And I think that um, Kareem Brigante, who is the guy that I wrestled, he is currently their heavyweight champion. So I got the chance to show what I could do against him that day. You know, and then there's uh, other smaller seminars, like I got to do one um, in 2011 with Brian Kendrick. Um, who I believe is now on the in the cruiserweight division again. So uh, that was and that was very simple. That was literally you know wrestle a, a six minute match and then listen to uh, critique. So you know it's just all this different knowledge from all these different minds coming together. 
Do you see in your short, you know, in not too distant future, international, more international travel to, to go learn in a different style, say over in a Japan or over in England and, and learn a little bit more of the craft from their perspective? That That is one of my main goals. Um, I've always said that traveling internationally and getting that international exposure is one of my main goals. And uh, the two places I would love to go currently, I want to travel to the UK because that is the hotbed, in my opinion, in wrestling right now, um, besides Japan. Uh, UK and Japan are my top two goals um, because I think that you know WWE uh, is obviously number one in the world, but it's so crazy, you know, because they have a UK division now because it's got such a mainstream following. And, and then you see New Japan Pro Wrestling come up and, you know, almost as if it's about to rival the WWE. So to travel internationally and to just be exposed to the crowds in those two countries, that is what I want. That That is a, a goal that I want to accomplish in the near future. Now, who would be some dream opponents if you had a chance to go over overseas? Oh, man. Uh, as far as the UK goes, um, I would say top three currently would be Pete Dunne, Will Ospreay, and Marty Skrull. Th- those are the top three from the UK that I definitely want to uh, learn and work with. Man, as far as Japan goes, I mean, name it. Anyone on that roster. But it, it's funny because one of my dream matches from Japan isn't even a Japanese guy, but I want to wrestle Kenny Omega so bad. Um, but I, And I mean, if you go WWE uh, from New Japan, I would say Shinsuke Nakamura. He has been my dream match. Him and AJ Styles have been at the top of my list of dream matches for as long as I can remember. I'm going to throw it back over to Mike. Mike, uh, you have any uh, quite more questions for Barrett? Um, Texas, obviously, you mentioned it is uh, becoming like a hotbed for indie wrestling now. There's a lot of talent. You did mention Dirty Andy Dalton, and I would love to hear your, well, the best Andy Dalton story you can tell us in front of a family audience. Because Andy is a character. I'll give you that. I've loved being in the locker room with Andy before. So, But there's a lot of talent in Texas, and you've had a chance to work out in the ring with some of our students with, uh, you know, the groups that I work with, but what is your, what do you look at as far as the future for wrestling in this, in the Texas area and who are just some of the names up and coming that you see being the next shot that might be the next, you know, 50 caliber, get that opportunity that you're getting now, man, that that's a tough one. Um, I, I think that the future is going to stay very bright for Texas. Um, if I had to pick, man, if I had to pick one guy that's coming up in Texas, I mean, there's a guy that I'm currently helping, um, helping train. Uh, he goes by Tyler Crane. He He's trying to travel a little bit, um, and I actually graduated high school with him. He is finding himself a character. He is doing more than actually a lot of guys that have been in the business five years are doing and that's finding a character rather than you know trying to be just you know a tough guy um i see a lot of potential in him if he keeps getting uh exposure traveling stuff like that i think he can i think he can do a lot of things in texas and keep the reputation going and then as far as you know at iwe i think you know uh david fuller and you have a very potential good star out of angel omega i I have been very impressed, and I've told David, you know, that um, 
I see him carrying that banner for a long time if he keeps it up. Now, if if you don't mind, we'll go back to this. Can you share an Andy Dalton story with us that, well, somewhat family friendly? <laughs> oh, man. I thought you'd forgot you asked that question. Let me see if I can think of a PG Andy <laughs> Dalton story. Um, okay, okay. We were doing a show in, uh, I think it was West Monroe, Louisiana, and he had been on a road trip with Gregory James for like two days, and they were going back and forth ribbing each other. So Andy walks away, and he is about to go out to his match. Boy, he hasn't gotten dressed yet. So he goes to the bathroom, and uh, Greg finds his singlet that he's going to wear that night in his bag. So Greg gets as much Icy Hot as he can, rubs it all over the inside of Andy's singlet, and especially in the crotch area of that singlet. Dalton comes back rushing. He puts the singlet on. His music hits, and then immediately he start, He turns bright red, looks at Greg. He is livid, and then he has to go out and wrestle. And that, yeah, I think that's the most PG Andy Dalton story I can think of. That would probably be the most PG Andy Dalton story anybody can think of, actually. Um, <laughs> there's a name also you mentioned there. You look at guys, you know, you see, you see people that wrestle in the ring together. You know, you flare Steamboat, flare Sting. Um, guys that, you know, Guerrero and Benoit, guys that, you know, they know each other inside and out and they put on stellar matches. In my opinion, you mentioned one just right there is the unholy Gregory James, big name here in this area. You guys have worked so much together that it's almost like a complete dance from beginning to end. You know each other so well. What's it like working with Greg? And I think he's another one that, you know, could actually have that shot because he's really talented. I agree 100%. Um, uh, Greg and I are at a point where if we are wrestling each other, we can literally show up to a venue, have opening match, get there like three minutes before we're supposed to go out, look at each other, nod, and then know exactly what we're thinking. Um, myself and Greg have such a similar way of thinking about things in wrestling and such a similar style that it's almost uncanny you know, how much we have wrestled each other. I, I feel like um, it's almost like our careers, in a way, have mirrored each other because we have uh, wrestled, you know, in the Metroplex. We've wrestled in DFW. We actually did a little bit at Ring of Honor together. We went to a Ring of Honor camp together. Uh, it's, it's like we have both just come up and traveled and done all these things at the same time. So, yeah, Greg is definitely on the list of guys that is carrying that banner for Texas wrestling, if not, you know, uh, eventually the United States. Now, as part of your traveling, you know, you've done, as you said, Arkansas, Texas, you've been around. You've also had a chance to go over and work uh, the West Coast. You actually came over and worked a couple shows for us in a very small area of Northern California. And I know you were just amazed by the crowds that we had there, but... You know, West Coast is obviously a little bit different of a wrestling style than any, you know, Texas and all that. What are some of your uh, memories? What do you take back from uh, being over in the West Coast? I remember um, that crowd was so ravenous. And it, what was really cool about that was that it was an annual show, so they were so ready for wrestling. It's like they had nothing else to do except to go to wrestling. And I remember I was wrestling Greg there. And they were so white hot for professional wrestling. And we had, you know, we had a match that we could have put on at Pro Wrestling Gorilla 
And I remember uh, watching the match before us. I think it was two years ago. Watching the match that was on before us, thinking, you know, okay, they're they're going crazy for you know hip tosses and arm drags, and then they see us go out there. Well, I, yeah, last year go out there and do uh, a dog collar match and just do all this crazy, you know, backflips, all this stuff. And man, it it's just such an environment that makes you appreciate professional wrestling. Now you mentioned the dog collar match. That was your first opportunity to wrestle a match such as that. And obviously, you know, NWA, you think of, you know, Roddy Piper and Greg Valentine in a dog collar match. What were, what did you take away from that? What was kind of your story with the dog collar match? Cause I know you were a little hesitant. I was because I mean, I'd never been in one and I didn't know exactly the fundamentals because, you know, I'm such a guy that I, I thought I knew a lot about what I was doing, but to have a dog collar involved was a game changer. And then, you know, we put it on and then we realized, you know, okay, we can do a lot more than we expected with this. And I think that we blew some minds. Like we, we still were able to run. We were still able to go to the outside. We, we got really innovative with that dog collar. So it was a very fun learning experience. Glenn, I'm sure, I'm sure the timekeeper is a, starting to show up there is there any more questions you've got well yeah let's uh wrap up here uh today uh thank you mike uh for that uh, i'm let's talk a little bit about the impact of social media here on your career and where the fans can contact and uh, check out all things 50 caliber barrett brown absolutely uh you can find me on twitter at tco underscore barrett b my instagram is uh barrett brown tc1 uh, my snapchat my Snapchat is the same. And then I have a website up that uh, has all my current blogs and uh, the vlog I just put out today. It's on there and uh, on the website also has all my social media, including my LinkedIn. Um, it is www.barrettbrownpro.com. And I encourage everyone to uh, check that out. Cause you know, I mean uh, this year I am uh, focusing a lot on social media, uh, getting my name out there and just, you know, keeping my content up to date. So if you go to that website, just read my blogs, uh, check my vlog out, and just uh, stick there because content will be coming consistently there really soon. Oh, that sounds great. Uh, before we head out today, is there anything that we didn't cover that you would like to uh, let the fans know uh, listening uh, today to Wrestling Memories? Man, uh, off the top of my head, I can't think of anything else. We covered my my website. We covered the titles. I th- Man, you you guys covered just about everything, I think. They, they, it was a good interview. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> well, guys, it, it's been fun, uh, but the time has come for us to wrap up this edition of Wrestling Memories. Uh, a big thank you, of course, to our guest, uh, Mr. Barrett Brown. You're always welcome to come back and talk uh, all things Wrestling Memories, my friend. Hey, guys, I appreciate you having me. Yes, and of course, my uh, co-host sitting in the co-host chair this week, the man who put this interview together, the grizzled vet himself, Mr. Mike McCurdy. Yes, Barrett, we call Mike the grizzled vet. (laughs) He is a grizzled vet. Thanks a lot again, Mike. uh, I think you're just trying to say I'm old, Barrett. Thanks a lot. (laughs) I'm putting words in my mouth. All right, before we end up uh, having ourselves a Pier 6 brawl, we better get on out of here. For Barrett Brown, for Mike McCurdy, I'm Glenn Broggett. This is Wrestling Memories.